Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Comes out every single Tuesday at noon. It's called the On the Bluff Pod. Uh, make sure you uh, go listen to that Spotify, um, Apple, full-length video version on YouTube under Bluff City Media's account. Uh, but Christian joins me now. Christian, what's the word, man? Oh, nothing much, Gabe. I, can, can I be an old man for a minute? Yeah, be an old man. Do it. Just quick, off the top. So today is Tuesday. It's rainy and wet and cold. Have you checked out the weather for next Tuesday? I have not checked out the weather for next Tuesday. There is there is a low of 2 degrees and a high of 12 degrees. <sighs> and it looks like we may have some ice and some winter weather right there on Sunday and Monday. On, on Monday. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no. Terrible. 12 degrees, the high. The high. The highest it gets on Tuesday is 12 degrees. Yeah. Sorry. Had to complain. Had to be an old man and complain about the weather off the off the top of the show because that's absolutely absurd. No, I mean it's not good. In Memphis when we get to when we get to single digits, it's always pretty brutal. People don't know how to handle it, let's be honest. (laughs) Yeah, and then and then nobody has any power or water or anything because all the pipes explode. Like it's 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 bad. A lot of old houses in this area, so we're not made for we're not made for uh, near sub-zero. I, see, I, I remember when I first got to Memphis and people talked about the ice storms and I saw – because I'm from St. Louis, obviously, and we get single digits. We've gotten into negatives. We get a foot of snow, two, foot, uh, two feet of snow, depending on what happens during the winter. Like, that happens constantly. So when I heard about ice storms in Memphis, I didn't take them seriously. Um, I learned pretty quickly to take them seriously because power goes out yeah. and everybody has to – I mean, I had a buddy um, two years ago – when the uh, ice storm of 2022 hit at the end of the year, it took him nine months, I believe, to get a brand new kitchen because he had bursted pipes. Oh my god! Because everybody, yeah, everybody had those same issues. I, 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 yeah. I learned pretty quickly to never, never underestimate ice and how it affects the city of Memphis. No, we got to leave them faucets on. Yeah, for sure. Keep them dripping. Keep them dripping. Keep them and, dripping. Co- hey, and cover your outside, uh, your yeah. outside uh, your, spigots. Your spigots. Yes. Yeah. Cover, cover the them spigots up. up. Yeah. Um, now, speaking of uh, spigots and I don't know uh, floods and disasters, while we were while we'll get to the national championship, while we were watching the national championship last night. And by the way, we are we are some uh, warriors, Christian and I, as we uh, did record our podcast through the first half of the national championship last night. Um, yep. We did get the news about at halftime when we were finishing up recording. John Morant out for the rest of the year. Grizzlies cannot have nice things this year. Season from hell. Let's be honest. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. It is the season for hell. From hell. 25 games without John Morant. We saw how that went. It was terrible. 
this team with him back was seven and four in the eleven games. He was playing well. The team was obviously playing much better, having their superstar guard. And just as they're getting a little bit of momentum, they beat the Lakers and the Suns back to back. And then John Morant's in a sling. There's some weird, some weird stuff going around about how it was in a, a workout, not even injury, just workout soreness. Which, you know, I know you worked out a lot, Gabe, in, yeah. in, in your life. I don't think you've ever put on a sling from being sore. So that sounded a little, a little sketchy anyway. Yep. And then the news came out. And there's always night. been a thought of dishonesty within the, uh, within the organization right. about injuries. So there, right. there is that. Yeah, it's, it, yeah. There's no trust after the Steven Adams stuff about injuries in the Memphis Grizzlies. So I think everybody, everybody's alarms were going off. Everybody was a little concerned and worst case scenario pretty much happened. John Morant out for the remainder of the season. He will finish the 2023-2024 season only playing 11 games, which I don't think many well, people Well, nine games even. Nine games even. Yeah, nine, yeah, you're right. Yeah. You're, right you're right. Nine games. So didn't even, didn't even cross double digits. Comes down with the injury, and it is shot for Memphis. It is tank time, as we said last night on the podcast. Nobody should care about winning any games this year. <laughs> People should actually probably be upset if Memphis does win games this year. You well, want them to here, here. go on a Pistons-style run <laughs> over the next several months. That would be so miserable, though. I'll say this, though, but based on what they have on their roster, Marcus Smart, Jaron Jackson Jr., Desmond Bain, like I, it's just – and Vince Williams Jr.'s emergence – I just don't think, like the whole tank thought, I don't know if they're going to completely just write off this season. I don't know if they're just going to no, roll no, over. No, no. I, no they, they have too many talented players. I, I don't necessarily think they're built in the best way to be successful, especially without their superstar player. But with the players that you just mentioned with Dez, with uh, Jaron Jackson, with Marcus Smart, like there's still talent on this team. I still think the Grizzlies will be competitive. But you don't really want them to. Be, I mean, I mean, you know they're not go, they're not going to go to the playoffs this year. They're not not going to go on some magical run, barring a miracle right. that they get into a play in game or into an actual seed for the playoffs. Like they just they're too far out of the race, and they don't have their best player. So no, I, I, the tanking stuff is more of a joke. Uh, I, I I think they have too many good players to do that. I think they will still be competitive. And there's really two schools of thought about it, right? Like you'll have the people. That say the fans that say, I just want to see them fight. I just want to see them compete. I just want them to show resilience. And yeah, I, I get that. I understand that. And then you'll have the other ones that are like lose every game. And I'm almost <laughs> right. in just the lose every game aspect because <laughs> what do you get from you know from being a, a, an 11 seed? You know what do you what do you get? You don't get anything from being competitive and being resilient. But you can get a pretty good draft pick if you lose a lot of games. So. It, we'll, we'll see how it shakes out, but it's it's a lost season, nonetheless. Oh, however, 100%. however it plays out, it's a lost it's a lost season completely. Yeah, and then I, I look at sort of I, I Connor and I have brought this up. Like if you if somebody's out there in the Grizzlies fan base and you have suggestions about who they should play the rest of the year and how they should go about this thing um, and who they should. Uh, who they should uh, prioritize giving minutes to. I, I don't think there's wrong answers right now because I think that this front office is just going to throw everything at the wall and see what sticks. See if uh, Jake LaRavia has some NBA uh, minutes that he can give you in the future. See what you can get out of him. Vince Williams Jr. will play a lot of minutes. I just don't think there are any wrong answers as far as what you throw out there on the court. Now, I think as far as uh, roster moves, roster construction, trades you can make, um, you know, uh, consolidating this roster. There are some uh, wrong moves, but as far as what you throw out there on the court night tonight, I'm I 
I I personally cannot get caught up in that. I will not get caught up in that. No, I won't either. Uh, not at all. Play whoever. It it doesn't really matter if you want to play Vince Williams for twenty five minutes a night, or if you want to get Jake Laravia ten to fifteen minutes. Who like who cares? Who cares? What what is it hurting? It's it's not hurting anything. It's just getting these guys more minutes and giving them more of an audition for what can you do. Uh, and what can you do without our best player out there? What can you do when more shots are available and more opportunities for creation are available? So uh, to me, it is absolutely throw the kitchen sink out there. Like it doesn't matter. Yeah. Whoever you want to play, whoever wants you want to play extended minutes, whoever you want to pull back, like there's really not a wrong answer. It's just kind of throw caution to the wind. Yeah, and I said this last night on X. I think that the uh, the Jake the shameless Jake Laravia minutes, uh, the front office sort of forcing him in there, are coming soon. Like that's just, oh, that's, without, just without that's given. They drafted him at nineteen. You have an opportunity to see if he can uh, salvage his career in Memphis. I think they're going to go ahead and and try to make that happen and see what can happen yeah, with him. That's that's going to happen. Uh, that's almost a guarantee that that will happen. <laughs> yeah. Not talking with Christian Fowler at C. Fowler, BCM. Michigan wins their first national title since 1997. I heard Jeffrey Wright say this earlier. I think it's the first uh, uh, undisputed national title because they shared that 97 title. Um, first undisputed title since 1948. Um, I, there's a lot of takeaways that you can have uh, about Michigan. Do you think they cheated? What's the future of that program? If Jim Harbaugh leaves, we can we can do all that. But I, uh, I personally... As an offensive lineman, <laughs> as an offensive lineman and a guy who appreciates real football, I can't get over the fact that it feels like Michigan and Jim Harbaugh won this national title, ran the table 15-0. and They did all that running inside zone, duo, power, and they tackled in the open field, and they played good defense. That's what they did. Like, in the end of the day, I feel as if – we are at a point in football with more, you know, cover four, with more too high safeties, taking away some of those big chunk plays, explosive plays in the passing game. We're in a spot where real football is prevailing, like real football, bare bones football. Can you impose your will on the opponent? That is prevailing. The last three national champions are uh, Georgia two times and then Michigan. Um, and, and even in the NFL right now, we have Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen having career worst years while the number one seeds are one and three. Uh, the Ravens and the uh, the 49ers are one and three in uh, scoring defense and they're one and two in run play percentage. We are headed back to, we're reverting back to a little bit of 90s football. Line it up, knock them down. What's new becomes old again or what's old becomes new again. You know, I mean, it's it's going to happen. Football is cyclical. It's it very cyclical. It, even though there are innovations and tweaks and things that change as systems change, typically it always goes back. I mean, there there's a reason that an offense like Bill Walsh's offense of the 80s, of the, uh, starting in the mid or early to mid 80s, is still popular today or has seen its cycle come back more and more today with the West Coast offense is because things that work, play, uh, defense coordinators or coordinators or coaches, they figure those things out, and maybe they can take them away for a little while, but then the game changes again. You adjust to what is new, and when you adjust to what is new, then you go back to what used to work before defense has changed. What was working, you know, 10, 15 years ago was a dominant running game. And then we transitioned to a, you know, a pass-happy league, both in the NFL and college was trending that way as well. 
and you say, like you said, okay, we've got two safeties back there. A, a lot of teams are in these nickel and dime packages. They have two linebackers on the field. They basically have six players on the field that are over 215, 220 pounds. We see linebackers getting smaller. We see interior defensive linemen getting smaller. Uh, we see outside linebackers and defensive ends getting smaller to be quicker to rush the passer. And so then what do you say? Okay, maybe if I get big, ugly, nasty offensive linemen, 315, 320, 330 pounds that are going to line up every play and put a hat on a hat and we get you know dominant running backs, then it's going to be hard to stop because everybody else on this field is pretty small compared to what we're looking at. And so I, I think I think it's a great point. Like that is what is becoming successful again. You look at what Michigan did, uh, a Washington high-flying offense, deep passes, uh, move the ball at all three levels of the field in the short, intermediate, and deep passing game. Very dynamic offense. Three of three really good receivers that will all be drafted this year. And on the other side, you have you know, some decent skill positions as far as receivers go. But that team is built around. The five guys up front, Blake Corm and Donovan Edwards, and what did they do? They handed it to them as many times as they could and got into a situation where they didn't even have to throw the ball. Yep. And it was, we're going to do what we want on offense. We're going to line up and run the ball until you stop it. And we're going to bring pressure on defense, and we're going to rely on our incredible front seven and our very underrated and talented secondary to shut down your weapons, and that's exactly what they did. And you pointed to the Baltimore Ravens, the San Francisco 49ers. What do they do? They impose their will on the ground. That's what they do. That's where that, that's where they're successful at. The reason that they're able to throw, the reason that Lamar Jackson and Brock Purdy have been so successful this year is because they can run the ball whenever they want to run the ball. And it doesn't have to be complicated because they know that they have some of the best offensive linemen in the league and that they're bigger than the competition that they're going against, and that they can line up and bully people. And we 100% saw that in the national championship on Monday night. Washington got absolutely thrown out the club. Yeah, and then we we just sort of looking at college football as a whole and our national champions uh, since 2016, because 2015 was the sort of last year of line them up, knock them down for Alabama, Jake Coker at quarterback. I think everybody from that point forward, once Deshaun Watson Won that won that national championship for Clemson. Everybody said, "Okay, we need to have elite quarterback play. We have to." Even yeah. Nick Saban went that way, and he and quite frankly, I give Nick Saban a lot of credit. He transitioned, and he had probably the best four, um, the best run of four quarterbacks we've seen in college football history: Jalen Hurts, Tua, Mac Jones, Bryce Young. It was unbelievable to watch. Um, but we we twenty sixteen to twenty twenty, we had Deshaun Watson, Tua Tagovailoa. Trevor Lawrence, Joe Burrow, Mac Jones win national titles, all first-round picks. And now the last three years we've gone to Stetson Bennett and J.J. McCarthy. And you can think what you want about J.J. McCarthy, but in the end of the day he threw t- he completed 10 passes last night in the national championship right. to go win it. So we are reverting back to, again, bare-bones football, line them up, knock them down, let's go make this thing happen. You don't necessarily, at least at the college level, it seems, you don't necessarily have to have that generational talent at quarterback to go win a national title. And we thought that that's where we were headed after 2016 and Deshaun Watson. Yeah, it it is not that way anymore because, like you said, people can say what they want about J.J. McCarthy. I still still see him being mocked as a first-round quarterback in some mock drafts this year. But if you have a truly elite quarterback – in the national championship game, he is not going to throw 10 passes. If right. he is the reason that you are there, if he is the reason that you're undefeated and competing for a national championship, 
then there's no way that he's going to throw the ball ten times a game. Reference Joe Burrow. Clearly mm-hmm. elite. Clearly made that team what it was, even though there was an incredible supporting cast around him. He they threw the ball all over the place for the entire college football playoff and for the entire season. So if you have a truly elite quarterback, they're not going to attempt 10 passes. And I know Stetson Bennett had some incredible games uh, throughout those two years and those two national championship runs. There's no denying that. But we know without a shadow of a doubt that Stetson Bennett was never an elite quarterback. There's a reason he was, what, a fifth-round pick of the Los Angeles Rams. It's because everyone knew he wasn't elite. They knew Georgia had an elite defense, and they knew that they could run the ball. And so you're right. And I don't know how long this trend continues. We'll see. see. That's that's the tough part, Christian, is I don't know, because we talk about football being cyclical, I don't know what the next iteration of trying to get the high-flying offense back up off the ground. Like, I don't know what that iteration is. Is it more variations in, in the run-pass option and the RPO? Uh, like, what what gets it back to where we were from 2016 to 2020 with all these high-flying offensive explosive plays, elite quarterback play? What gets us back to that and those teams winning? I'm not totally sure at this moment, but I don't think anybody really understands that until we actually see it. No, I don't think you can point to any one thing and say this is what gets us back. I mean, typically what it is is it follows trends. So if some elite generational quarterback prospect comes and takes the team to the national championship, then that's typically when you see a flip and people say, okay, we, we have to have an elite quarterback now because look what's around us. These elite quarterbacks are popping up at all these schools. And that's typically how it happens. I mean, you look at the NFL. You look at with Patrick Mahomes and what he's done, and it was, okay, you have to have an elite quarterback now. And then you look at this year when he hasn't been as good, the offense hasn't been as good. And as we keep referencing, you look at the top two seeds, and they're both run-heavy teams. I know, obviously, Lamar Jackson is more than likely going to be the NFL MVP. Brock Purdy was the favorite for the MVP for quite a while. But are they like are they the two best quarterbacks in the league? No, they're not. Neither one of them are. I mean, I would still say that's Patrick Mahomes. But what it's showing now is, once again, that you don't have to have the best quarterback in the league to win a Super Bowl or compete for a Super Bowl or compete for a national championship. So how does it come back around? I don't know. But I would say my, my best guess would be the elite quarterbacks rising to the top once again. Because you can even look even deeper into college football and even look at Jalen Milrow. I wouldn't say Jalen Milrow is an extremely elite passer, but there there you go. Alabama was in the final right. four. My, Michael Penix obviously was. Bo Nix had a successful season. But you can look around and you can see teams having more success without elite quarterbacks now. And what is the trend with that? Okay, if they don't have an elite quarterback, typically they're going to have either one of the best running backs or just one of the overall best running games or offensive lines in the country. So it's very interesting. It's very intriguing to look at. And we'll see if this trend continues or if it flips back because it will always go back and forth. It will never be the same for an extremely extended amount of time. Now on the Michigan title and the sign stealing and the cheating, the so-called cheating, that every, I mean, it really took uh, college football world by storm. Everybody was talking about it during the regular season. We had Jim Harbaugh missing six games, being suspended for six games. How do you view this national championship in that realm? Do you do you think it cheapens it? Is there any thought of that for you? Not not at all. Zero percent. I think it's it's one of those things. We talked about this when it first came out. If you really look into what happened it's not that big of a deal, and it's not really anything that every other team in the country doesn't do. 
Yeah. I mean, outside of physically sending someone, like it, it, it's nothing crazy. It was about it was about when, how it was done, not what was done. Right. It was optics. It was all optics, and then people running with headlines, and then people not reading into it, and just taking what they thought on face value, and that was what was being spread. To me, this is not a big deal. It does not cheapen the title. It does not put an asterisk next to it. Like this Michigan team dominated the entire year. They didn't lose a game. They beat Ohio State. Uh, they beat Alabama, who a lot of people thought had a chance to win. And by the way, all play. of those, all of the in Penn State, all after being busted <laughs> and right. having having their right. coach not on the sideline. Right, having one of the best coaches in college not on the sideline, and it did not really affect them at all. They won some of their biggest games without their head coach on the sideline. So for me, uh, honestly, if anything else, it makes it more impressive that this team was dealing with all of that, and they rallied around each other. They rallied around their coach. And they didn't lose a game, and they yeah. just kept winning. And at the end of the day, the motivation was probably to give the middle finger to the NCAA, and that's exactly what they're able to do now. Mm-hmm. And so you can have people that read into the rumors and that you know maybe don't read too deep into the story, say that it's, it's cheap and that it doesn't count and that it should be stripped and that they shouldn't be considered national championships. But at the end of the day, if you really look at it for what it is and for what happened – it makes this even more impressive. Like, it makes what they did due to all of the drama that was surrounding the program and to all of, all of really the college football world talking about them for the majority of the season, whether it be because of that or be because of the success they were having, which we know can make teams falter, combined with the fact that they didn't have their head coach for six games and they still ran the table, they still won the national championship, they beat two really good teams in the college football playoff in Alabama and Washington and dominated Washington in the national championship. Like, to me, it makes all of it even the more impressive that they were able to do what they did. Yeah, and the sentiment always – a lot of the sentiment I saw uh, last night sort of became, oh, real proud, real proud year for college football that we have a team completely uh, going against – um, all the rules, doing things illegally, cheating, they win. It's great for college football. But I, I do want to remind people, even if, let's just go with the 21st century, right? Do you really think that these previous national champions didn't cheat? Like, think about Ed Orgeron. They had a Title IX thing going on while all of the uh, – while, while they won that national champion, championship in 2019. Think about Urban Meyer at Florida, then at Ohio State. I, you, like, you it was almost, it. like, let's be honest about, like, acquiring talent to go win national championships before. Was say, it was even, almost strictly illegal recruiting and illegally yeah. providing benefits. <laughs> and we can, we can yeah. argue till we're blue in the face about, oh, well, now it's the NIL era. How should we view that? They were blatantly cheating back then. Right. Maybe they didn't get caught. Right? Maybe you didn't see it on, on the front page like you saw with this, this sign-stealing uh, uh, thing for, for Michigan. But at the same time, cheating has always been part of the game. The best teams in the country have always um, done their own sort of uh, gone their own way about um, cheating and, and, and trying to get by that way. Yeah. No, I wasn't trying to talk over you, but you absolutely were just pressing the button. I mean, you were as spot on as it gets like you don't even have to dig into like coach o and urban meyer and coaching scandals every team that has won a national championship since fill in the blank has <laughs> cheated and there's no doubt about it nobody even really tries to hide it anymore especially in this day and age like you have nfl players now coming out talking about that they were paid to go to school 
even though some of them may hint at it. Like, you know, everybody's known the whole time. It's been the worst kept secret in all of sports. It's not like some, oh, gasp moment. Like, everybody knew that that the best teams in the country were paying players to come there. And that is cheating <laughs> and was considered cheating. It's not anymore as of two years ago. But anything before that was, was cheating. And, it, and now people call it legalized cheating. Okay, well, it was legit cheating before that. Mm-hmm. So to to compare Michigan to them, like to me, and Mich- I'm sure Michigan has paid for plenty of players themselves. I'm not of course, saying that of they're course, scot-free of course. at all. But to compare what Michigan had happened to them this year with the sign-stealing stuff and totally ignore everything that happened over the last 15 years, it's happened forever, but the last 15 years it's, it's gotten worse and worse. It's crazy. Because paying players to come is way worse than sending a coach to steal signs because that doesn't even help you. But paying five-star players to come play for you, the last time I checked, that really freaking helps. <laughs> it does. It really does. To have talent on your side, it makes the difference. It makes the difference. And I think Michigan enough. would say that. And I'll say this, too, about Michigan, uh, something, a trend that they set this year. Um, last thing I'll say on the national championship in Michigan uh, winning it. What they did this offseason – um, and using their NIL collective to bring back Blake Corum and Zach Zinter and Trevor Keegan and Cornelius Johnson and all these great players, that is a trend that will stick. That is a trend that will stick. Because some of these guys may not be the highest-rated NFL draft prospects, but in the past they would have left. Now you're getting that NIL collective involved. They're really good college players. You bring them back, you have a chance to win. Like I, Michigan went all out to go win this title, and they won that title because of the, the retention of the roster using NIL. I think it's, that is something that needs to be talked about and, and needs to be looked at as an impressive feat for this Jim Harbaugh coach Michigan team. Absolutely, because in this day and age, keeping talent is the hardest thing to do, especially keeping elite, established talent. And whether that be because they feel like they can go to the draft, because Blake Corm's been a, a draft prospect for years now. He's been on draft radars for years now. So whether it's going to the draft or saying, okay, maybe I can go somewhere where I am the only guy. Because right. we know Blake Corm shared the backfield with Donovan Edwards the last two years. And obviously that worked out very well for Michigan, but you can't say that there aren't scenarios where a player would say, okay, I'm getting, you know, 45, 50% of the workload. I can go here and get 75% of the workload. I got my draft grades back. I was a fifth rounder. I can work my way up to a second or third rounder. If I go to a school where I am the lone back and there's no questions about who's going to get the ball. Yep. So there's so many ways to lose talent now. And for Michigan to do what they did to retain their players a lot of those guys who probably would have been mid-round draft picks in the 2023 draft is extremely telling of what college football is going to. Like, yes, acquiring talent from other places is obviously important. But keeping your talent in-house for the talent, like just for having the talent alone is a huge thing, but for roster retention, for culture, with this coaching staff that spent... Yes, continuity. With this coaching staff that's built... Uh, that's spent the last seven years building something at Michigan, having players like Blake Corum there who has been there is Michigan through and through, like has been a great poster child for the University of Michigan and the University of Michigan football program. Like that is huge. You cannot discount how big it is to bring back players that are established, that are starters, and may not be on first and second round radars, but are NFL level guys. And Michigan has a lot of those guys that are NFL level 
that maybe weren't going to be the highest round draft picks. Obviously, they dipped into that NIL pool and paid them to come back and help them accomplish exactly what they just accomplished on Monday night. So, yes, it is it is something that has been talked about very lightly, but I feel like this pushes that conversation more to the forefront and will allow other teams or force other teams even to look around more at their own rosters and say, okay, this, you know, this guy's projected to go maybe a late day two, early day three pick. We need to push some money his way to keep him here yep. because yes, he will one day be able to go make money and play on Sundays and, you know, maybe be a rotational guy, but here he can continue to be a superstar. He can continue uh, to build this culture when we bring in this freshman class, when we bring in this transfer class, because I think that's even more difficult to do than bringing in a freshman class is bringing in players from other schools and letting them adapt to the culture. And so having guys that are established, having that continuity is so important. Jim Harbaugh and the Michigan staff, hats off to them. They did an incredible job, and they were rewarded heavily for it. Yep, for sure. No question about it. Now, um, Tiger basketball, talking with Christian Fowler at C. Fowler, BCM senior writer and content creator for Bluff City Media. Tiger basketball 13-2, and 13th in the AP poll. But the last four games, we don't have to hide it. Um, this team has struggled um, against inferior competition in the first two games of uh, the conference season, which seemingly should be easy. They have won on Javon Quinterly heroics. Three balls, um, one with four seconds to go, one with three seconds to go. Um, I'm not saying any panic alarms are being pushed by any stretch of the imagination. They've won all these games. But when it comes to your concern level, where are you at with this team in regards to, hey, they might drop one here soon? Uh, I mean, if we're talking about dropping one here soon, I I, I don't even know. I'm not concerned about it. I just 100% know that they're going to. And I don't mean that negatively. Like, I think Memphis is one of the best basketball teams in the country. But if you keep playing with fire, eventually you're going to get burned. Yep. Uh, you you can't you can't play, you know, two and three point victories over teams that are inferior and not expect to eventually lose one of those games because it only takes one shot in those games. It takes one more shot falling for that win to become a loss. And I'm not looking at this super negatively. I want to continue to like put that on. Like this is a 13 and two basketball team that's top 15 in the country. Right. It's a top five seed line team right now. Like I'm not saying anything negative about them. I just really, really genuinely believe that they will lose one or two of these games throughout the conference schedule. Yeah. It's just going to happen. And that's not talking about like a FAU or, a, you know, that's really the only super quality opponent the rest of the way. But they're going to they're gonna lose a game or two that they shouldn't this year. And pretty much every super talented team does. Pretty much every top team in college basketball drops a game or two in conference every year that they shouldn't because it's college basketball. You play a lot of games. Uh, sometimes you go into these arenas where there's not very many people and it's not a, a national spotlight game and you're not playing against superstar players and there's not a lot of storylines to it and you just really don't bring it. And we've seen that on occasion from Memphis and fortunately they've been able to battle through that and win those games. But uh, eventually it's going to happen. And like, don't freak out over it. Don't panic over it. It's going to happen, but it'll be okay. This team is talented enough to bounce back from an in-conference loss to an inferior opponent and continue to be fine. So I think they lose a Keep go going. Ahead. My bad. No, I think if they lose a game or two in conference and but continue, continue to do what they're supposed to do, they lose a game or two in conference, they keep that top five seed line, it, it's no big deal. 
Yeah. Now, when we look at the other metrics outside of the AP poll, they're 44th in Ken Palm, 48th in net. And a lot of people will say, okay, well, they haven't won these games by a lot, so they're not getting favored. They're not getting favorable metrics because of that. Um, how much do you How much do you buy into that conversation? They'd be getting a little bit more benefit of the doubt if they beat the hell out of these 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 teams. Did, did they win? <laughs> that, right. I mean, that's my only point. <laughs> right. Like at the end of the day, who really remembers? how much you want a game by. When you look at the record at the end of the year, you don't go, oh, this team is 31-3, and three, and they won 22 games by, you know. Six points or less, whatever points. it is. Right. You, you don't do that. You say, wow, this team was 31-3 and three this year. They had an incredible seat. Like, that's how it is. So I, I get it. Right now, in the moment, in the midst of it, it may cause some concern, and people may say, Oh well, this is why they're you know not higher in the net or in the Kim Palm rankings that are all these metric based rankings. Well, at the end of the day, it's it's pretty stupid, right? I mean, this is a team that once again is thirteen and two. They have the second most quad one and quad two wins in the entire country. Um, they have won big games on the road. They have won big games at home. They've beaten four top twenty five opponents. Their biggest victory on the season was against the top 25 opponent, a 23-point win over Virginia. Uh, they went on the road and beat Texas A&M, a top 25 team at the time. One of their only losses was to a team that has currently has one loss. That was against Tennessee, a top five team in the country. So it just it, the resume is still too good for this to make sense. And yeah, the net is ridiculous, have, in my opinion. Yes, yes. I, I, we talked about this last night. Ken Palm makes a little bit more sense. It's all metric-based. And so, okay, maybe some leniency for that. I still don't think they should be all the way down at 44. I think that's right. absurd. Um, but the net, with them being 48, with them being below A&M and SMU, <laughs> two teams they beat. And once again, they beat A&M on and, the road. And with better resumes in the quad one and quad two than both of them. Right. And I think they're still like 13 or 14 spots lower than Texas A&M. I think Texas A&M's like 30. They're, they're, nine, they're, they're, they're nine spots below. Uh, A&M is 39 to Memphis is 48. 39. Okay, it, it, but still, like, how does it make sense? How can you, how can you validate that at all? Well, it, 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 well done it, what Memphis has done, yeah, barely being top fifty. It, it's point differential and beating bad teams by a lot of points. Houston, yeah. Houston feasted off of that in the AAC. Yes, feasted off of that. So even when they got a loss, it felt like they got the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, yeah, and. Uh, I know people get wrapped up in numbers. I get it. It's just like the the AP Top 25 conversation that we were having for weeks earlier in the regular season. And guess what we kept saying? It doesn't matter. All they got to do is keep winning games. Eventually it's going to come. Now they're sitting as the top 13 team in the country. And I, I don't know. I don't know if the net will do the same. It's a little bit different. It's, it's, it's not the same as an AP poll. But uh, being being lower in the net is not going to keep this team from being a top five seed. Right. It's just not. If if they lose three or four games this year, and they're thirty ninth, thirty seven, thirty eight in net, it's not going to make them be a, a, a seven, eight, nine seed team. They're still going to be a top five seed. So I get it. It's aggravating when you look and you say, "How this doesn't make sense." But as far as does it actually hurt this team? No, I, I don't yeah. think so. And I know they say they use net for. Uh, for seeding and stuff like that, but I just, it's, it's not going to affect this team. Their resume is too good. The people that do bracketology and the people that ultimately do the seeding, they've been doing this for too long to say a team that yeah. maybe loses three or four games this year and has the resume that Memphis does. 
it's not going to be a top five seed. It's not going to happen, yeah. and that's not going to keep them from from success. And you're like me. You're on team keep winning. Whether it's by one, yeah. whether it's by 15, whether it's by 30, team keep winning, and, and yeah, everything will fall into place. I hear you. I yeah. hear you. Well, Christian, I appreciate it, man. Great stuff, as always. We'll do it again next week. Yes, sir. See you all next week. Yes, sir. That is Christian Fowler, senior writer and content creator for Bluff City Media. We have a podcast called the On the Bluff Podcast. Releases every... Listen to every MLB game live. The deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.